Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, Awaken. Woo, here I come in. Uh, good to see you this morning. Thanks so much for coming. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the Director of Community Life and want to share a welcome to you this morning and start off our time with a call to worship. As we begin today, I just want to recognize uh, that it's a Hallmark holiday, um, Mother's Day, and that that this day holds just different feelings for different people. Um, so we want to meet you where you are and hear this acknowledgement that we see you, those who are celebrating mothers and motherhood today, those who are mothers, those who have chosen not to be mothers, those who yearn to be mothers, those who have lost mothers, and those who have lost children, those with painful, strained, and broken relationships with their mothers, and those who are called other mothers. You are seen, thought of, and respected today. Now for our call to worship, we want to acknowledge the sacred feminine, the ways in which the Holy Trinity, God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit display feminine characteristics and qualities of a mother. So this is a song from Anselm of Canterbury, an 11th century Benedictine monk. Jesus, as mother, you gather your people to you. You are gentle with us as a mother with her children. Often you weep over our sins and our pride. Tenderly you draw us from hatred and judgment. You comfort us in sorrow and bind up our wounds. In sickness you nurse us and with pure milk you feed us. Jesus, by your dying, we are born to new life. By your anguish and labor, we come forth in joy. Despair turns to hope through your sweet goodness. Through your gentleness, we find comfort in fear. Your warmth gives life to the dead. Your touch makes sinners righteous. Lord Jesus, as a mother, in your mercy, heal us. In your love and tenderness, remake us. In your compassion, bring grace and forgiveness. For the beauty of heaven, may your love prepare us. Come and worship. Okay, friends, uh, if you want to find your seats, that'd be fantastic. Welcome to Awaken. So glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Micah. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thanks for so much for being with us. Uh, 
couple of things. Well, first, if you're new to Awaken, uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, there are some cards in the seat pockets in front of you. You can go online, click the I'm New button. Uh, if you'd be so gracious as to fill that out, somebody from our team will uh, give you a jingle or send you an email. Uh, probably send you an email. I don't know that anybody calls anybody these days. What is it about that? You know, like, oh, I, I say to my wife sometimes, just call them. I can't do that. I'm like, people have been doing it for years. I mean, you know, thanks to Alexander Bell, we can do that, you know. But we'll probably just send you an email. What am I doing? Uh, if you're new, we'll send you an email because we want to know that you were here. We'll invite you to a beverage of your choice, and it'll be great. Um, those cards and tithes and offerings, if you've brought them, can go in the black boxes at the exits. This is off to a good start. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate that. A um, couple things happening in the life of our church we want to let you know about. Next Saturday is a garden work day, so out here is a little garden, raised bed garden, so we will uh, get that ready, plant some seeds. If you're able, join us. Starts at 9. If the weather is good, we'll be out there, and uh, lunch will be provided there, so that'll be fun. I just ordered a, uh, a watering, a, a, like a tubes for watering a raised bed garden this year, so we're, we're taking it up a notch, you guys. It's going to be awesome. Uh, there is partnership classes on the 15th, next Sunday, and the 22nd, so two weeks. If you're interested in being a partner at Awaken, that, we do that usually right before the annual meeting, which is in June this year. So if you want to make that move and uh, that commitment, that is a two-parter, 1230 to 2.30. Uh, lunch is provided at that as well, so we'd love to know you're there so we can provide lunch for you. And then finally, there's a congregational meeting next Sunday night, the 15th. So partners and uh, committed congregants, we're saying, um, well, just interested. If you're interested, come. Uh, that's at 5.30 dinner and then 6.15. So uh, just kind of a family gathering. We want to talk about what we're seeing, where we're going, um, and, and things of that sort before the annual meeting in June. So that is that. Are you ready? Are you, are you with me now? All right. Uh, it's week three of Eastertide, which is basically just the third week after Easter. It's a fancy church way of saying that. Uh, we are in Eastertide until Pentecost, which the church celebrates the giving of the Spirit uh, in the book of Acts. And then after that, it's ordinary time all the way to Advent. So that's where we are in the story. At Awaken, we're in the second week of a series in the book of Philippians. We started that last week. Uh, this is Paul's letter to the small little group of people, the church plant in Philippi. Uh, if you remember, it starts with Lydia and her family and the jailer and his family. That's the launch team. And then, really, this, this church becomes a key uh, place, a key like moment in church history as the story goes forward. So uh, Paul writes this letter from prison uh, to this little group of people that he loves and cares for. Uh, he, he reminds them of his gratitude uh, last week about his, their partnership in the gospel. So, you know, Paul can only do so much. Any church leader can only do so much. It takes a body of believers, you all. So your partnership in the good work of, of Christ in the world. He reminds them of um, the, his confidence that what Christ has begun in their midst, that Christ will continue and be faithful to continue. Regardless of his presence, whether he's in jail or he's even dead, uh, Christ's work will, will, will move on. And then he, he offers this prayer for, for the, the people, right? That they would be overflowing with the love of God. That they would be able to uh, discern what's good and true and right. And then that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. This relationship that they have with the divine. And I was... Um, I, I, I sort of walk through that and I think, man, you could just preach that over and over and over again every single week as a pastor because it's like so my heart. Um, I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I don't typically like replay sermons, 
usually, um, sometimes pastors are like, I just don't feel like the church got it, so we're just going to say it again the next week. That never happens here because you guys are so bright. You always get it, and you're like, yep, let's go. We'll keep going. There was one time, though, I preached a sermon that was so bad. I was like, can I just try that again the next week? You know, I was like, here's what I really want to say, and you all gave me that grace. So we're not going to do that today, though. We're going to keep going. Philippians 1, we're in verse 12 now. So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand. Jeremy's going to read our text for us this morning. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Um, by the way, if you ever wonder, like, why do we stand around here for Scripture? Well, it's a... It's a it's a posture of honor. It's a posture of readiness. We want to be, you know, plant our feet and hear what's being said. So here we go. Philippians. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to go on, or if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Pray with me if you would. <clears throat> God, as we take a few minutes today and consider these words, uh, I, it's my hope and prayer that um, by your spirit, you would be present to us and our little church community that the things that you have invited us to live into and um, the steps of faith that you've invited us to take, God, that we would hear uh, an encouragement from the scriptures today, that we would be reminded of who we are, that we would be reminded of how you, you see us, and um, we'd be confident in the fact that you are with us. So uh, to that end, I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And the church said together, amen, amen. It's good to be with you all today. Um, I, I love Paul's letters for lots of reasons, but one of them is like, it's a letter. Don't, do you get that sense when you hear the, the, the passage this morning that like, this is a guy who's just writing a letter to his friends. Uh, he's corresponding to them. He's got some things he wants to say. He has some, some things that he wants to respond to. Um, 
and, and I think that's an important thing to remember that like this is one guy who wrote to a group of people. We talk about it as like the word of God, you know, this is the Bible, it's the scriptures, and that's, that's good and like important. And also, this is just Paul. He's just writing to his pals, his friends. Uh, so let's read it, let's interpret it, let's understand it as that. Uh, and I think that's a helpful way to do so. Um, there's a ton, ton you could do in these passages. Like we could do six weeks on these alone. Um, I'm not going to do that this morning. I just want to pull out a couple of threads that I think are in this, this passage that we read. And uh, hopefully there's something that maybe you, um, that resonates with you. Uh, maybe you remember nothing from this teaching, but you, you had Eucharist and you sang and you, you were with the church this morning. Maybe there's something that God like really like drives deep down inside or is a seed that's planted deep in your bones. I don't know. We'll see. You know, that's the, that's the joy of what's happening uh, every Sunday when we gather. Uh, but I want to talk about a secret. Ooh, a secret. Anna. <laughs> I've got one of my friends, young friends down here in the front row. We're working it out. Uh, I want to talk about a secret. I want to talk about wisdom. And I want to talk about the difference between what we believe and what we feel. So that's where we're headed this morning, if you like roadmaps. So there it is. Uh, let's talk about a secret. Uh, I, I would argue that Paul has tapped into a secret and by secret, I only mean that it's often overlooked, that we don't, we don't remember it, uh, we miss it sometimes. A secret about the human experience that is in front of us every day, all the time. Uh, and that secret is this. Here, here it is. Are you ready? On this Mother's Day, I'd like to say and remind you that um, your life is not about you. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everybody. And yet, uh, actually, that's, that's, that's it. That's the secret. Um, whether it would be Father's Day or Mother's Day or any day, doesn't matter. Um, your life is not about you. Uh, we live in a world that's trying to tell us otherwise all the time, right? The, the, the books that we read, the ads that we see, uh, we're trying to be convinced by who knows who that it's really about you and, like, the world revolves around you, um, I remember, as a youth pastor, I remember seeing that all the time. We're like, oh my gosh, can you see anyone other than yourself? No, the world revolves around me. Uh, and there's this, there's this wrestling that happens. Like, but the secret is, it's not about you. Said differently, your happiness, your joy, your fulfillment, your satisfaction as a human on planet Earth is actually outside of yourself. The source of it exists outside of yourself. That's not to say you're not important. Don't hear me. But like, what I mean by that is, um, we, are, we were made from relationship and for relationship. Uh, the, the, in the beginning of the story, in Genesis, the voice translation says it this way. Now let us, God is saying, let us conceive of a new creation. Humanity, made in our image, fashioned according to our likeness. Well, what's being said? The first Christians spent a ton of time trying to figure out what is God like? How would we describe this being that we call God? And the best they could come up with, like smartest people in the room, you know, they gathered them all around. Well, that's actually not true because it was mostly men and not a lot of women were invited to that. So it was like half of the intellect possible. And they said, like, how could we, like, what would we say about God? And there's a Greek word they come up with and it's called perichoresis. And it literally means circle dance. 
Like, oh my gosh, let's talk about God, right? What could we say about God? And the best they could come up with is that God, in essence, the very like ontological nature of this thing we call God is like a circle dance. What do we mean by that? That in the Trinity, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, there exists this perfect, endless, sacrificial, selfless, self-giving relationality and love. That is what God is, relationship and pure uh, interconnection, interdependence, self-giving of of one to the other. That's what God is. And then, according to Genesis, from that, God says, let us make humans in our image, which means, friends, that you were made from pure and unadulterated, perfect relationality and for relationality, for relationship. Keep teasing that out then. When we, when, we, when we believe the lie that our life is really about me and that my satisfaction is about the satisfaction of my desires and what I want, that will then be fulfilled, we've twisted it. We've missed it. it. That's actually not true. What is true is that we find our joy, our greatest joy, in relationship, in stories that are bigger than ourselves, beyond ourselves, right? Think about the movies that you love. I was talking with, uh, at dinner the other night, and we were like, what, 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 is in, what inspires you? What stories inspire you? And inevitably, it's, it's about people who are doing something or caught up in a story that's bigger than themselves, that's not all about them, where they're not the center of the universe, but rather about someone or something else, something, else, something greater than. And what we long for is to be a part of stories like that. And we're told this lie that actually what you really need and want is to fulfill whatever desire you have and you're the center of the universe. And I just want to offer to you for your consideration today that that's not true. That's actually a lie. And and it's hard because, gosh, it sure does feel good for me to be the center of my own universe, right? But the secret is you're not. I am not. We were made for something else. We were made for something bigger than that, something more than that, which is why Paul can say... Look, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what's happened to me, it serves to advance the gospel because Paul's participating in a story that's bigger than himself. It's not about Paul and his happiness or his fulfillment or his satisfaction or even his, like, comfort. He's like, I can suffer. Why? Because I'm a part of something far larger, a story that's happening right now that's more beautiful than my own personal satisfaction or comfort. And so I'll endure whatever it is I have to endure. Why? Because I'm living Paul's in prison. He's in chains by the Roman Empire, right? Incarcerated for preaching the gospel other than the gospel according to Rome, which is Caesar is Lord. He's like, no, Jesus is Lord. Uh, Peace doesn't come through domination and violence. It comes through sacrificial love. So Paul's like, I will suffer for that. I I will gladly walk this road for that. He's learned the secret that his life isn't about him. It's about participating in something else. It's about being in relationship with other. So, friends, I just want to offer that to you this morning. Uh, and, and actually, even if you were to put Christianity aside, right? Like I'm saying that in, in, the, in this gospel, this good news about Jesus, there's something larger. There's a story that I want to invite you to participate in. But even if we set that aside for a second, I would still argue that if you, if you find something that is beyond yourself, something bigger than yourself, some story, some cause, something, and give yourself to it, you will experience a quality of life, a joy, a fulfillment that is, that is bigger than, that's more than if it's all about you. So question for you this morning, whether you, however you walked in here, what story 
is bigger than you, that's outside of you, which you aren't the point or the goal of that, that you're living for, that you've given yourself to. Is there one? And what is it? Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew. He says, listen, if you want to find your life, you actually have to lose it. This is what he's saying. Right? You remember that passage? Anyone who wants to follow after me, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to lose your if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. This is the wisdom that he's getting at. This is the secret that he's talking about. It doesn't mean you're not important. Don't hear me say that. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. It's not saying that you're invalid or that you don't matter. You do. Greatly. We do. I do. And there is this tension that exists. When we give ourselves to something bigger than, outside of ourselves, we become alive in a way that is like, it's like you hit the tuning fork, you know? And it resonates deep down. And we pay money to go see those shows. Why? Because it's true. And it's right in front of you every day. In your neighbor. In your partner. In your kid. In your coworker, Someone other than yourself. The possibility for relationship. People get to the end of their lives. Like, I don't know of anybody, like any story where someone got to the end of their life and they were alone and they said, yes, this is what I was, look, this is what I was living for. No. We, we desperately want to be surrounded by the people that we love, that we've shared life with. Why? Because that's what you're made for. Paul can endure all kinds of things because he he's understands this secret. And there's some wisdom that he's tapping into here that we've actually seen elsewhere in Scripture. And friends, just a little uh, pause for a moment. A little, you know, Micah, the seminary teacher. Uh, When you find themes repeated in Scripture, you're going to want to pay attention there. Like, radar up. If you like, oh gosh, that sounds a lot like that. Okay, now we're talking. Let's listen in here. So Paul taps into a wisdom that we've seen elsewhere in Scripture in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Do you guys remember this story? Joseph occupies more chapters and more words than any other single narrative in the Bible. Did you know that? The story of Joseph. Uh, Remember, Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob who becomes Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob, Israel. He's the favorite son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. He gets the Technicolor dream coat. That's the guy we're talking about, okay? Uh, Broadway was really really grateful when this story came out. Uh, he has this unique capacity to interpret dreams. So uh, his, he has this dream and he tells his brothers about it. And, and unfortunately, it's one where his brothers are like bowing down and subservient to him, which is not a good idea if you're a sibling, kids. Just don't do that, right? Not a good idea. Because they end up wanting to kill him. They're like, this guy is a dreamer and he just talks too much and he's pretty selfish. <laughs> so they decide to kill him. Uh, they decide to kill him. And then they're like, wait a second. Hold on. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Uh, a group of Midianites wandered by, and they're like, if we, if we kill him, we get nothing out of the deal. He's gone, but we, we gain nothing. But they're like, if we sell him, then he's gone, and we get some money. Double threat guy. So they, they decide to do that. They sell him. He becomes a, a, a slave in the house of Potiphar. He rises in the ranks there. Potiphar's wife thinks he's fine. So she, uh, you know, basically accuses him of something he doesn't do. He gets sent to prison because of it. They're in prison. He... He interprets dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. 
And then Pharaoh starts having dreams that no one can interpret. And the cupbearer and the baker are like, hey, wait a second. I remember this guy. He's in prison. So they call up Joseph. He comes up. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He's right. He rises up. He becomes like in the court of Pharaoh himself. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 50. The brothers, famine strikes the land. The brothers come to Egypt to to get food because Joseph interpreted the dream and they've stored up food for the famine. So here we go, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. (laughs) That's a sneaky move, right? Your dead dad said you should be nice to us. Um, This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers their sins and the wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants, of the God of your father. uh, And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. And they said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I above God? Here's the wisdom. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What you intended for harm, God is using to weave a story together that you wouldn't even believe. What you intended for harm and for death, God is actually taking and making something beautiful out of it. Friends, this is one of the most important stories in the whole Old Testament, and in the, like, the climactic moment, we hear this. What you intended for harm, God intends for good. This is this, and then we hear it again in Jesus, do we not? The disciples are gathered around. Jesus is dead. He, the would-be Messiah, he's in the ground. They think all is lost. And it turns out that actually what was meant for evil is the very means by which God brings about good and justice and beauty and hope in the world again. Amen? Resurrection, people. Paul repeats this frame in the book of Romans when he says, and we know this one, this is on all the uh, Hallmark cards, we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. If God is for us, who can be against us? The newsboys made a killing off of that. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus that awaken, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not forget, my friends, the wisdom and the reminder that God is at work in the world for good. Friends, I don't know where you've come from today, and I don't know what it is that you're walking through or in the midst of. I don't know what suffering has befallen you. I don't know what ailment you have. I don't know what darkness you're experiencing right now, but I want to remind you today, like this is wisdom that is thousands of years old, that there is a divine being in in. In our in existence, which is at work right now, weaving together out of death and chaos life. Do you believe that's true? I do not believe that your suffering, your ailment, your, your struggle is like God pulling strings. I don't believe that for a second. Some people would say that God, you know, God knows everything and God is above everything and God is omniscient and blah, blah, blah and has a great plan and you're just a part of the blueprint and so whatever suffering you're experiencing right now is a part of God's plan. I call BS on that one. I don't believe it's true. I don't believe it's true at all. I believe that there are 
forces at work in the world, there are people who make their own choices, and there are things that happen that we just can't explain. And you may suffer, and there may be some struggle, and there may be some devastating thing that you've walked through. But friends, the good news is, gospel here, the God that I believe Jesus reveals to us is the God who takes those things that are meant for death and evil and weaves them together to make something beautiful out of it. That's good news, friends, and that's hope. That's today. That's yours. That's wisdom that Paul says, listen, even in the midst of my struggle, even in the midst of my suffering, my imprisonment, my near death here, friends, God is at work doing something good, taking what is meant for evil and destruction and actually preaching good news. I want to remind you of that today because, which leads me to my last point. What we believe is true and what we feel is not always congruent. Amen? Paul says in verses 21 to 24, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm struggle. I'm torn. I desire to be, to depart, to be with Christ. And yet it's maybe better for me to be here, necessary for me to remain in the body. What's he saying? To live, to be alive, is to participate in the good work of the gospel. It's to be an ambassador of light and love and hope and justice. It's to like put my hands to the plow and do good work in the world with you. To live is to do that. But to die, well, that's to be present with Christ, right? Like the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. To die is to, to like stop having to struggle. To die is to like to stop having to push against the darkness and to enter the rest that the writer of Hebrews talks about, right? Paul says to die, like to be present with Christ. So by the way, uh, if you want to call that heaven, that's fine. You know, like you die, you're in the presence of God. But like that's not the point. The point is resurrection. What happens to Jesus, God wants to do for everybody in Christ, okay? So that, you know, I don't know how long that lasts or what that feels like. If it's like a moment or if it feels like an eternity, no one's come back to tell us, so we're just guessing. But like Paul says, to be, to be dead is to be present with Christ. And so there you are. You are in the light. DC Talk made a killing on that one, right? So this is what Paul believes is true. He believes that there is a God at work in the world weaving together what's meant for destruction and evil to make something beautiful. And he believes that he, he can participate in that, that that's the wonder, the, the, the awe of this whole thing, that God invites him and the church to do that. That's what he believes is true. And so he can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's theologically, that's sound, that's goldmine. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What you hear is like Paul working out theology here. This is what he believes to be true. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he writes this. Corinth, church at Corinth, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. He's actually talking about what's happened in Philippi when he gets imprisoned and beaten. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired of life itself. We felt like we had received the sentence of death. This is what Paul writes. Two things, friends. What you feel matters. There is this version of Christianity that says, like, you can't trust your feelings. Your feelings actually don't matter. They don't inform you of anything that's of God. Uh, you should, you, th th your feelings are connected to your heart, and your heart's deceitful and wicked, so don't trust it. And 
I want to say be very, very, very careful with that message. Be very careful with it. It's not patently false. There is something that's true there. There is a kernel. But it is really dangerous when that's what you're told. Don't trust your feelings. Don't pay any attention to them. Don't validate them. Don't listen to them. Because your feelings are a gift. How you feel, your emotions, like that's part of God's gift to you. It's part of who you are. It's part of your body. It's part of how you know who to trust and who not to trust. It's part of your survival mechanism in the world. Thanks, Darwin. Right? Don't, 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 don't jettison our feelings because actually I would argue that you can't be fully alive and human and experience divine love without your feelings. So let's hang on to them, okay? And what you feel is not always an accurate representation of what's true and real, right? You may feel that despair and all is lost, right? I've been, lay, I've been found to lay on my kitchen floor at times saying things like this. All is lost, you know, like the world's crashing in. It's all, it's all for naught. Oh, 12 years of pastoring this church. And that's what I feel. Is that true? I mean, people come up to me every week and say, no, that's not true, Micah. It's not all for lost. It's not all for naught. What's true and real informs what I feel, and what I feel informs what's true and real. But friends, they are not always the same thing. And so what's dangerous is when we say, get rid of that, then people come to you in your moment of struggle and in your moment of grief, and they say stupid things that invalidate what you feel. And when we only live by what we feel, we can become a mess real fast, yeah? And we can live by things that actually aren't accurate or representative of what's true and real. Or what we believe to be true and real. So there is this dance that happens between what we believe to be true and real and what we may feel in a moment. And sometimes they come together and sometimes they are worlds apart. Jars of clay. Man, I'm on a roll today, friends. <laughs> The danger is the either-or. The danger is the binary. The danger is only one of these is valid and the other isn't. Which is just like wisdom for life, right? Only this group of people has it right. Only this perspective. Only these folks know. And they don't. Let's not do that. It's not wise. It's not smart. And it will not, like, it, it, it won't help you live a better human life. So Paul, he, he, he somehow holds this tension between feeling like the depth of despair and also, I know that there is a God at work in the world weaving together beautiful things out of destruction and chaos. Why? Because Christ is resurrected from the dead. Without resurrection, friends, the whole thing is just a house of cards. This is what Paul argues in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 8 or 15, I can't remember. It takes a whole chapter to do it. So, today, I want to offer to you, I was thinking about this sermon, and I was like, you know, Micah, there's not like some big, huge, it, it just feels like there's some really important things to, to mention and to sort of tackle or to pull out of these passages. And it may not be the sermon that you remember uh, on your deathbed, but man, there is some just wisdom and, and deep truths for life here, friends. And I, 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 
I offer it to you. I implore you to listen. When we figure out, when we realize, when we recognize that my life is, is not best lived selfishly, that's when we really start living. When we recognize that we were made for each other. And, and we participate in stories that are bigger than ourselves. That there is a God at work weaving together beautiful things out of chaos, out of death, out of destruction. And, and, and what, what we believe is true isn't always necessarily congruent with what we feel. we got to hold on to both of them. You know, it's like holding hands, walking, walk it out. That's it. So, I don't have like a great story, you know, to close. This is a very bad homiletics example in preaching class. They're like, you know, you got to hook them at the beginning and then you got to give it, you know, give it at the end. I don't have anything like that. I just, I just have what I think is some truth that I offer to you today as your pastor. So, there it is. Pray with me if you will. God, as we take a moment in silence... Uh, I pray that you would visit us. That your incarnational move would happen today, in this moment, in this space, that we would sense your presence, your nearness. And God, I pray that whatever is for each person in this room today, that you might just highlight it, that it would resonate, that it would like hum or illuminate and that we would be drawn towards it or that you would draw it towards us. That we would know what it is you've invited us to or want to bring as a word of encouragement or even exhortation. So Holy Spirit, in the next few moments of silence, would you please do that work? In just a moment, I'll invite you to respond this morning to whatever you sense God's Spirit doing and inviting. Um, Mel's going to lead us in song. John as well. You're invited to sing along. If you feel that the words are accurate and representative of what you want to say, you're welcome to just hear those or have them sung over you. Uh, There's also communion available on my right and on my left. There's a little hand sanitizer. We encourage you to grab a little of that. Uh, take a piece of bread. There's red wine and white grape juice. Uh, so take the bread and dip it in the cup. And as you do, uh, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. And the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Prayer space is available always, as always. Uh, and so we invite you to respond in this time. All the best things happen that we don't plan for. You know what I mean? I said earlier at the first hour, uh, like... I don't know if how many like church music experiences you all have had in your lives before, but like what happens here week in and week out is just like not normal. Um, it's so good, so good. So thank you all. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think people, John in particular, I don't think people wanted to move in that moment, um, which was really sweet. So thank you. Uh, to the church gathered this morning. In the name of the resurrected one, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The church said together.
Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.